For the past few weeks, we've been working our way through Mark chapter 3, and the engine driving this section of Mark's gospel has been, how does 3 verse 6 make sense given what Mark said in 1 verse 1? 1 verse 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, and over the page 3 verse 6, Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. 1 verse 1, good news about Jesus. 3 verse 6, a plot to kill Jesus, leaving us with the inevitable question, if Jesus really is such good news, why do the Pharisees and the Herodians so strongly disagree? And that question is of more than historical interest for us. At All Souls, we believe that Jesus is good news for London, from Stamford Bridge to White Hart Lane. He's good news from the House of Lords to Heathrow Terminal 5. But our series in Mark's Gospel is helping us answer that same inevitable follow-up question. If Jesus is good news for London, then why does so much of London seem to so strongly disagree? London isn't ruled by Herodians or Pharisees, but that basic question hasn't gone away. To describe yourself as an evangelical Christian in London is an admission, not a brag, which is why we need Mark 3. Because in these verses, Mark is helping us to make sense of a world that receives Jesus's good news like it's bad news. Last week, we were dissecting the strength and persistence of that hostility, because to actually reject Jesus, you have to really reject Jesus. It isn't easy to be hostile to him, but it is possible. And so we saw the mental and spiritual knots that the teachers of the law tied themselves in in order to do that. But today, we're going to be dissecting a subtler form of that resistance, not from the teachers of the law, but from Jesus' own family. Not the hostility of the teachers of the law, but the worries and concerns of Jesus' family. Because our verses today begin with this uncomfortable truth, that resistance towards Jesus can look like motherly love. You have to feel a bit for Mary, because the bigger your child is, the harder it's going to be to cradle them. And Jesus Well, he's getting really, really big. He's out teaching the teachers of the law. He's out terrifying the terror of demons. He's out spreading the spread of leprosy. And the responses to him have been as wide ranging as his claims. So many people have started following him that he's struggling to eat. And the brightest and best leaders from the capital, well, they've started plotting his death. It isn't easy to be hostile to Jesus, but it isn't easy to be concerned about him either. And Mary and Jesus' brothers really are. They were presumably aware of the open hostility that the leaders from Jerusalem had for Jesus. And when they heard that Jesus and his disciples couldn't even eat because of the crowds, well, verse 21, they went out to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Jesus' mother and brothers are genuinely concerned about him, And perhaps we can understand where they're coming from. Anyone who has a body knows that food is a good and necessary gift from God. And that when you're not eating properly, 
Well, it's easy to treat every situation like it's the start of a life or death, us against the world, doom spiral. And when our world is spinning out of control, having a strong family to grasp hold of us and pull us out of that downward spiral can be the, dist- the difference between disaster and recovery. In London, many of us tend to overvalue our independence and undervalue our parents. And perhaps the pandemic has been a reminder about what most of the rest of the world seems to know already. We aren't just commanded to honour our parents. We are blessed when we are close to them. Families are good. Food is good. And mums who tell you you're not thinking clearly, stop working and have something to eat, well, they are a good gift from the Lord. But before we join in with Jesus' family as they try to pull him away from the crowd, we might want to remember who exactly it is that Jesus' family is trying to rein in. Jesus is described in three ways in Mark 3. In verse 22, the teachers of the law say he's possessed by the prince of demons. In verse 21, his family says he is out of his mind. And in verse 11, the demons themselves fall down before him, crying out that he's the son of God. Friends, when demons show more respect than you do, that is not a great sign. And that isn't the only way that Mark dissects the reaction of Jesus's family. The whole structure of this chapter alternates between the plotting of the teachers of the law and the worries of Jesus's family. Three verses, one to six, uh, the teachers of the law are looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, and so they start their plot to kill him. Um, So in three verses, seven to 19, how does Jesus respond? Well, he withdrew with his followers from right around Israel to restart Israel with new leaders because Israel gets her reality from her connection to him. In three verses, 20 and 21, Jesus's family decide to take charge of him. And then 22 to 30, we return to that hostile resistance of the teachers of the law before 31 to 35, we find ourselves again with Jesus's family arriving to pull him away from his followers. Do you see that structure? Teachers plotting, new Israel. Family worrying, teachers plotting, back to family worrying again. In some ways, the teachers and family have very different motives, but by alternating between their two reactions, Mark is highlighting what the teachers plotting and the family worrying share. They are both trying to take control of Jesus because both the teachers of the law and Jesus' family think that Jesus is smaller and less sensible than they are. They both think that they are bigger than Jesus is. It isn't easy to reject Jesus, but it is possible, and there's more than one way to do it. The teachers of the Lord damn him as satanic, but the resistance of Jesus' family is more subtle. They pity him as deluded. It's more subtle. It's full of genuine concern, but it is still rejection. 
Because rejection can look like hostility, but it can also look like motherly love. We saw last week that for the teachers of the law to actually reject Jesus, they had to really reject Jesus. To reject someone as big as Jesus, their reasons had to be as big as his. And to reject what was obviously true, they needed the biggest lie they could find. They tried to outsmart Jesus. And in verse 21, we see another way you can resist him. If the first way is by finding a lie that's as big as he is, the second is by trying to have more pity than he does, making your own concerns and your own priorities the limit on what you will allow him to say or do. You can try to outsmart him, or you can try to outworry him. You can reject his truth with your lies, or you can choke out his concerns with your own. But by putting these stories next to each other, Mark wants us to see that both of these forms of resistance will end up tying you in the same knots. Come and have something to eat with your family is a normal and good thing for a mother to say to a child, except when it is a way of making your concerns a straitjacket on Jesus's. He's out of his mind is a sentence full of genuine pity And yet not even the demons had the guts to try to pity Jesus. Our city and our society is held together by a tight knot of twisted lies. And living among lies is always uncomfortable for children of the truth. But I think maybe the most disorienting thing isn't actually the lies themselves. It's when those lies come dressed up as pity or as honest concern. This city thinks it is too kind to take Jesus too seriously, which makes London a very uncomfortable place to live for those who want to share Jesus' heart. Because let's be honest, if you share Jesus' heart, then people will worry about you. And that worry may well be heartfelt concern, Concern about your selflessness with money, even during a cost of living crisis. Concern about your prayerful patience, even in the face of real injustice. Concern about your commitment to biological realities, even in the face of people who ask you very politely not to be. It is disconcerting when your family worries that you are being too selfless with your money. It is disconcerting when your course mates are concerned that you love your enemies too much. It is disconcerting when your boss pities you for your belief that it was very good when God made men and women. If you share Jesus' heart, people will worry about you. And it is disconcerting when people pity you for being too like Jesus. It's disconcerting, but it shouldn't be surprising. Even Jesus' family said he was out of his mind, but it is not possible to be kinder or more sensible than Jesus is, and we should not try to be. Resistance 
towards Jesus can look like motherly love, which means too, even Jesus' mother could become an outsider. Mark has a number of ways of dissecting the reaction of Jesus' family in this chapter. Um, He includes those three different statements about who Jesus is, and it's only the statement from the demons that is big enough to fit him. He alternates between the teachers of the law and Jesus' family, and as he does that, he shows that both the teachers of the law and the family think they are bigger than Jesus is. And now in 31 to 32... Mark makes double mention of where Jesus' family is standing. Outside. It's a small detail, but Mark's whole gospel is small on detail. So when he includes small details, you know he's doing it for important reasons. Verse 31, Jesus' mother and brothers are standing outside. And verse 32, that's what the crowd tells Jesus. Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Jesus' family aren't in the crowd listening to Jesus. They're looking for him from the outside. And Jesus leaves them there. They never make it in, at least not in this chapter. Because that is as far as their worries and concerns about Jesus will get them. Even Jesus' brothers and mother will be left outside if they keep resisting him, even if that resistance is an expression of heartfelt concern. The bigger your child is, the harder it is to cradle them. And Jesus is getting really big. So the danger for Mary, well, it's that she will end up rejecting the controversial adult Jesus for the Jesus that she can swaddle, the Jesus she can be concerned about. With Christmas coming up, maybe that's a danger for us too, that we will prefer the cradle-sized Jesus that we can pick up and pacify to the Jesus who asks questions like the one in verse 33. Verse 33, who are my mother and my brothers? And at this point, as we dig into that very challenging question, we need to be absolutely clear about two things. First thing to be clear about, if Jesus was dishonoring his mother here, well, he would have been breaking his own command. In Mark 7, just a couple of chapters later, Jesus describes the way that the Pharisees nullify Moses' command to honor father and mother because they teach people to take what they should have used to help their parents and to somehow devote it to God instead. And Jesus sharply rebukes them for that. Friends, it is Mary's words, not Jesus' words, that dishonor her in Mark 3. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that as this story unfolds, we see Mary's resistance dying away as her deepening faith draws her closer and closer to Jesus, even when it seems all hope is lost, even when it means kneeling at the foot of his cross as he's crucified. It's Mary's words, not Jesus' words, that dishonor her in Mark 3. And we would be deeply blessed to have a fraction of the faith that Mary went on to exhibit in her life. But with those two clarifications in place, verse 33 has a lesson for us that we must not miss. And it's this. 
It is only ever by faith that Mary can get near to Jesus. And it is only ever by faith that we will get near to Jesus as well. And that lesson is both a promise and a warning. Here's the warning. If we won't believe in Jesus, not even giving birth to him would get us close to him. As St. Augustine once put it, writing about these very verses, even the close relationship of being Jesus' mother would have been no benefit to Mary if she had not carried Christ in her heart a greater privilege than doing so in her body. Or in the even starker words of his mentor, St. Ambrose, if Jesus' mother isn't recognized when she stands outside, how will we be recognized if we stand outside? See, this is a chapter that alternates between the teachers of the law and Jesus' family. Earlier in the chapter, the teachers of the law thought they could kick Jesus out and take Israel with them. The army, the temple, the capital city, the throne. But Jesus is God's king no matter what people think of him. And Israel, well, it received her reality from her connection to him. So by resisting Jesus, they were resisting the one who gave substance to all of those shadows. And without him... Well, it would only be a matter of time before the throne and the capital and the temple started dissolving into dust all around them. And what's true of God's kingdom is true of Jesus' family as well. Israel received her reality from her connection to Jesus, and so does Jesus' family. So by resisting Jesus... Jesus' mother and brothers while resisting the one who gave substance to their relationship. And without him, well, it would only be a matter of time before that relationship dissolved into dust. Verse 33, who are my mother and my brothers? If we won't repent and believe in Jesus' good news, not even giving birth to him would get us close to Jesus. And if Jesus' mother isn't recognized when she stands outside, how will we be recognized if we stand outside? That's the warning. But here's the flip side of that. Here's the promise. Friends, you can be as blessed as Mary. You can be as close to Jesus as his own mother. Because it is only ever by faith that Mary can get close to Jesus It is only ever through that connection to him that Jesus' family gets its reality. And that connection is open to anyone. Which means the reality of being Jesus' family is open to everyone as well. Verse 33, who are my mother and my brothers, Jesus asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my mother and my sister and my brother. When you do God's will by trusting in the good news about Jesus, connecting yourself to him by repenting and trusting in his good news, then you enter into Jesus' family for real. And the thing about Jesus is that even though his family may abandon him, he will never 
leave his family. Point one, resistance towards Jesus can look like motherly love. So two, even Jesus' mother could become an outsider. But three, Jesus will never leave his family. It's hard work to be hostile to Jesus, but becoming a member of Jesus' family is as easy as trusting in what he says. Now, let's be clear, that will not be comfortable. It may well be disorienting. People will worry about you and others, well, they may straight up call you satanic. But this world will never call you anything that it hasn't already called Jesus. And when you sit yourself at Jesus' feet, not even Jesus' mum would be able to persuade him to walk away from you. You don't need me to tell you that families can be hard. All of us come into this world looking for someone to hold us, the arms of a mum and a dad and brothers and sisters who will pick us up and never let us go. So there is a special sort of pain when a family gets broken apart. Sometimes that can be the pain of distance when the family we have found our sense of place in finds itself in many different places. Sometimes that can be the pain of death when the parents that we've always known become a set of memories that we're terrified we might forget. Sometimes that can be the pain of marriage when the children we have given our lives to give their lives to somebody else. And sometimes that can be the pain of disownment and divorce when the people who said they loved us changed their minds. I still remember the pain of my own dad walking away from our family, and honestly, I still feel it. The pain of someone walking away who had promised not to. I'm not expecting that wound to fully heal this side of eternity, and I know I am not the only one in this room who knows that sort of heartbreak. In big or small ways, all of us will go through the pain of realising that the family we hoped would hold us will one day let go of us. And for some of us, the very great cost of staying close to Jesus will be the very great pain of a family that blames you for breaking it apart. Not everyone can have Mary for their mother, and even she had moments where she put distance between herself and her son. But friends, if you give yourself to Jesus, he will never, he will never let go of you. There's a verse in Genesis chapter 2 where God defines marriage. Genesis 2.24, it says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And maybe some of us associate those words with pain. The pain of when that has gone wrong, or the pain of when that has gone right, but for other people. But in Mark 3, we see the climactic fulfillment of that verse. And friends, it is beautiful. Jesus refuses to leave his bride, the church, even when his mother and brothers and sisters demand that he does. Because that's what it means to be in Jesus' family. It means being connected to the one who will never let you go. 
Can I say, if you're here this evening as someone who's just looking into Christianity, thank you so much for coming. And let me say, the unbreakable love of Jesus shown in these verses, in the midst of the world's rejection, it is everything that we have to offer you. Because giving your life to Jesus, well, it isn't just the cost of being a Christian. It's the entire delight and prize of it. I'd invite you to come along to Christianity Explored, which is going to be happening tomorrow uh, here at All Souls, where you can find out more about that. And brothers and sisters, if we are people who have given our hearts to Jesus, well, then we are the bride that he will never abandon. We are the bride he will hold close and will not let go of. The Church of England's marriage vows are a stunning articulation of what marriage means. Maybe some of us associate those words with pain as well. The pain of when those promises have gone wrong, or the pain of when those promises have gone right, but for other people. But in Mark 3, those promises find their climactic fulfillment, and it is beautiful. Because before those marriage vows are words that any of us have broken or kept to each other, they're promises that Jesus has always kept and kept and kept for us. He has kept them through the world's hostility. He has kept them through hell's fury. And he has kept them even under the weight of the outpoured wrath of God on the cross. All souls, Jesus has taken you to be his wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish from now until eternity. Because neither death nor distance, neither disownment nor divorce, neither his mother nor his brothers, nor his sisters will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's hard work to be hostile to Jesus. But if you give yourself to Jesus, nothing and no one will be able to persuade him to walk away from you. And at this point, as we close, I could tell us that we should love each other like that giving all that we are to each other, sharing all that we have with each other, just like Jesus gave all that he is and shared all that he has with us. And that would be a wonderful application. We are a family, and that's what families do, even if London sometimes makes that very hard. But I think today, this week, I want to tell us to sit in Jesus's love. Because London is not a comfortable place for followers of Jesus. People will worry about you, and others may straight up call you satanic. There will be pain, and you will be pitied, and some of that pity may even come from your own family. But in the discomfort, and in the pain, Jesus is sitting right there with us, and he isn't going anywhere. He isn't looking over your shoulder. He isn't looking at his watch. 
He isn't thinking about who he could be spending time with instead. And he isn't listening to anyone who is asking him to leave you. His arms are wide open. His face is fixed on you. And he is entirely yours. All souls, our love for each other will have its limits. But Jesus' love for us, it has none. As the band come up, why don't I pray for us before we sing? Lord Jesus, this city is not a comfortable place to follow you. We trust in your good news, but this city receives it like it's bad. So we praise you that you, amidst the hostility and the pity, will never leave your family. Amidst all those lies and concerns of this world, would you hold us close to you this week? Would you hold us close through your promises? And would you teach us that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, nor even your own mother, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in you. For we pray in your name and as your family. Amen.